0: Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org. So, yeah, I thought we'd chat today about loving kindness because tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Love Day. So I thought it'd be fun to chat about loving-kindness and that energy of loving-kindness. Um, I also was thinking it's hard to talk about loving-kindness in a way because it's such a pillar for the practice. It's like mindfulness and, and loving-kindness to try to bring something fresh and new to, to the talk. Um and I don't know if I've succeeded, but <laughs> it's within my awareness, like, oh, you know, we talk about this a lot. How can we make it fresh and new? So you know, I was thinking about just looking at the practice in more of a high-level view and just kind of going through the entirety of the practice of, of moving towards the heart and Starting off here, we have some things that, you know, Don and I were playing with the the chat to seeing if we could fit everything in there. So that second thing you're seeing is kind of um, out of order. We'll be doing something else first. But, um, oh, actually, the the first one was was right. (laughs) I I don't think they can see what we pasted earlier. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. So, I so just, just um the first bullet? Once. All right, perfect, perfect, perfect. I forgot about that. So, yeah, starting off with the common obstacles. Um, for those of you that are really new, uh, which is, some of you that might be really new to, you know, the heart practices, but in in the practice overall, we have the the wisdom and the compassion wing. You know, so we have the wisdom side of the practice that is looking more into seeing reality just as it is and finding the lessening of suffering because we are walking in attunement with how things are. So there's no dissonance. Um, the other side of the practice is the heart practice, which is really deepening our understanding of something innate that is already existing within us, much like awareness. And it also helps us a lot, of course, meeting um, life with gentleness and kindness. It releases us from, from suffering, but also delivers us into the recognition of, um, of selflessness. And, and that recognition of selflessness really assists with non-attachment from that side so there's uh, these two different methods if you will to uh, the release of suffering there's more of awareness-based practices we garner wisdom and heart-based practices where we garner wisdom um, in both instances and so i was just kind of coming up with these on my own some common obstacles and the first common obstacle to the practice as a whole is uh basic life distraction. We're just, we're just distracted overall. Um, how many of you feel like you're distracted? I, <laughs> times two here. Uh, just basic life distraction. We're just kind of often, you know, getting, getting done what needs to be done. So it's, this is why, you know, Sangha and coming to these things is so helpful, obviously just sitting with the practice, listening to a Dharma talk, reading a book, uh, having spiritual friends that you just chat with, connect with, text. It just reminds us that there's something deeper. It's not just getting through the day and these mundane activities that just take our attention and time, but there's something deeper too. The, The second obstacle is the practice is not easy uh this one might be a bigger it might be a little bit bigger than we think uh because gosh there's so many options of what we could do with our time and meeting our suffering head-on might not be the thing we think of first to like hey that's what i want to (laughs) do i want to actually sit with with a difficulty. So, what I mean by that is the heart, heart practices can be extremely fulfilling in the short term. It could be, you know, you sit down and you're really in the groove with your loving kindness practice and just feeling really, really good. There's also times that it could be really challenging. We could be meeting uh, heavier sufferings. Yeah, and also, too, it's maybe just the basic sense of it sounds really bad but i don't really want to like this person <laughs> you know i don't i i'm having a challenge accepting myself in this way my having a challenge accepting my own shortcomings things like this where we feel like we're really behind you know in this practice like we really feel like man i have so far to go you know almost like a sense of failure can arise Like I've been at this for a while sometimes, this kind of a feeling. And so even moving towards, moving towards the heart in some instances is very difficult. We'd rather move back in even consciously to distraction. Yeah. And so it's really important to remember that just a little bit, just a little bit in times like this, you know, just a little bit is extremely beneficial. If we could move towards in even some small way, even that meditation we did today of just, you know, more and more, I really enjoy just meeting the moment with gentleness. Just, just I, I offer that to myself. Can I meet this moment with gentleness? For me, it's somewhat like a precursor to, to, to kindness or compassion or loving, like loving kindness. Just can I be a little bit more gentle with what's arising? Can I get a soft can I give it a soft place to land to be here? And also too just folding it in that we're human that All of us, I think we could all raise our hand here that loving kindness isn't always easy and meeting our sufferings is not always easy. Just that this is, that you're human, that's it. It's difficult. The third piece, convincing ourselves that the practice can bring peace. So this is very much just tied into reflecting on the teachings, hearing the teachings, contemplating the teachings. And I think it actually takes quite a while for most of us to, it actually takes the fruition of the practice, to be honest, to really feel this in a very deep way, that this is actually it. Like this is the way that we can feel uh, contentment and peace, as opposed to other worldly things that we're really, really, We are really convinced that this is the way. Obviously, if we're on the path and in any way whatsoever, we're showing up to dharma talks and sitting and all of these things. We're definitely on the path there, and there's still going to be things that pull us away. Say, no, you know, I really think it's over here. Yeah, we're not we're not truly truly convinced. So I think that the reading, the contemplation, the listening, along with the practice, gives us verification. You know, if we hear it from our spirit, our Dharma friends, from the texts. Uh, one unique, you know, beautiful thing about loving, kindness and compassion is that it's found everywhere, you know, in the in different world religions all around. This is something that's not unique, obviously, to Buddhism uh, or any any uh, certain particular teaching. Right? It's fairly universal. And so the final piece of just, you know, the obstacles is lack of experiencing the fruition of practice. Like anything else, we have to get over the hump. And there's, there's quite a bit to this uh, sometimes. So there's just the basics of motivation, like we spoke about, and then learning the techniques and then sticking with it long enough to actually feel the benefit of it. and. This sometimes, you know, I offer up that motivation comes after, you know, waiting for for ourselves to have a really, you know, have good conditions to practice and, and all of this. Actually, a little bit of practice is better, not waiting for motivation, not waiting for, yeah, perfect conditions, just starting with a little bit. And doing that consistently enough, and really checking in afterwards too. Like, how did that feel? Even, even a few moments, you know, even a few moments of kindness. How does that feel? Journaling, I'm a big fan, right? So after you have some kind of fruition of the practice, it could be from a daily sit, uh, or, or it could be from a retreat, or it could even be the feeling of after reading something uplifting, like reading the Meta Sutta or something. Write down how it's making you feel. Because for some reason, sometimes these instances are more per- like perishable within our minds, like we forget about them. Where there might be negative experiences, where we, we recall them very easily. The positive experiences, maybe not so much. And if you're feeling doubt arising in your practice, of course, you can go back to this and say, oh, yeah, look at this. I really connected to that. You know, be very helpful. So the second one is the stages of the practice. Don will put in here. And again, I totally made these up. So if you find them a little bit different for you, cool. This is kind of things as I was prepping for the talk and I kind of came up with through my own experience, but there might be more or less or whatever. <laughs> um, so this is coming into, the, when we, when we went over common obstacles, This is kind of the same as the convincing ourselves that the practice can bring peace, like that one recognizing the importance of the practice. And I think here too, we recognize the opposite. When I see myself acting out of anger, for example, anger or frustration, you know, I I reflect, I'm mindful of this, like I I reflect on how that feels. And oh, look at when I moved into that space. And I allowed myself to, you know, act out of that space, say something out of that space. And I feel and I understand experientially uh, the aftermath uh, of that. And so I think that studying the opposite, like when we act out of, uh, you know, things that are not connected to the heart, uh, unethical Um, types of uh, behaviors and and thoughts and like negative emotions that arise and 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 things of this this nature we can see that the decisions that we make stemming from connecting with those uh, as opposed to the aftertaste and the lingering positive effects when we act out of kindness and compassion when we're really mindful of the two, we begin to become, you know, convinced of the importance of the practice that, yeah, this is really, really beneficial for for myself long-term. And and of course this is just buoyed up by the the teachings, the more that we hear things uh, and it just solidifies that view that this is the way to go. Your personal practice and study. The next stage, so once we say, yeah, this is this is important, actually the next stage is concentration. And you know, this is how it's usually taught is we need to have a stable mind. Doesn't matter what practice that we're doing, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's loving kindness, doesn't matter if it's breath meditation, if it's a visualization meditation, mantra meditation. We need to have a stable mind. So we can never fully abandon the concentration practice. And you know by the way, the concentration practice can be folded in to the heart practices you know, very easily, obviously. So if we're doing a meta practice, there is obviously an element of concentration. There's also concentration practices that kind of stand alone that can assist us. But really it's uh, attention uh to cultivating this, to cultivating stability in mind. And maybe the most important piece of cultivating the stable mind is your informal practice. It's extremely important to not let the mind loose all day long and then feel like it's going to be uh, good when you settle down. You know, even if you have an, an hour long practice, that means 23 hours out of the day, the mind is loose and off the leash. Right. So we definitely want to bring the mind back consistently, a few seconds here and there, over and over and over again, you know, throughout the day. The third one's techniques, which I'm going to jump into um, in a moment. Um, the, the different techniques, and, and then the fourth one, extremely important, consistency. And People that have been sitting with me for a while could, you know, put this on a t-shirt or whatnot, which consistency I'm all about. Uh the mantra of the Karma Kagyu Tibetan lineage, short time, many times, drip by drip fills the cup. That's it. That's the teaching. Consistency, short time. You know, please think about meditating in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. That's the type of consistency that we want. And so we want our practice to fit into that. So if we expect too much of ourselves too often, and then we think we're moving backwards, if the practice looks a little different one day or another, so a little bit of practice every day is far better than a long duration of practice for three months and then then you stopping, right? So that short time, many times, drip by jet fills the cup. That's how we get the consistency. Okay, as I go through this, I feel like I'm throwing so much but uh, your way, but um, especially as we go into the techniques, which we're gonna follow next. But um, yeah, hopefully it's it's all good. And then we're going to jump into groups after this. And I really am, am wanting to hear from you as we're going to go into small groups and just talk about how you know this practice has positively influenced your life if you've already started this practice. Okay, so we're going to go through the different techniques, but... What I want to actually focus on is all these, these techniques, if you've been around for a while, you, you're, you're familiar with all of these techniques. But as someone who mentors um, individuals in their practice, what I have learned is what it's, it's, it's extremely beneficial to know what type of techniques that we connect with you know if we connect with techniques that are more from the intellectual angle or if we connect with techniques that are more from the heart the more devotional maybe we we connect with uh, techniques that are more body based you know uh, these things i found these are three major categories that i look for in 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 practitioners to see which ones might suit them so i'm, I'm actually going to look at this view and so i have I have looked at these and what I'm just calling styles, like different styles and techniques. So, some of these techniques are suitable uh, for certain, certain stages in, in our practice. Thank you, Stephanie. Certain stages of our practice, um, or just things that we might connect to just as individuals uh, in a in a better way. So, I'm just going to go through them. And again, most of these are nothing new, but I'm going to talk about why I think they fit into. Um, Certain styles of of practice. The the first one uh, is you know just reading, and this is I know I'm just kind of going through here. the the first the first one is these types of practice. where We're just literally reading reading the 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 texts, and so we can read the Metasutta. These are very common, you know, to read the Metasutta. Uh, there's a style of teachings if you're not familiar with these teachings is quite all right um, we could you, you could familiarize yourself with them but there's this there's just written texts that um, are literally teachings in and of themselves so the metta Sutta, the 37 bodhisattva practices which again these beautiful poetic verses um, that display um, kindness and 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 whatnot the eight verses of thought transformation and the style here of these types of repetition. And what I find is really good with this category of teachings is when we're not into it, like when we're really not into doing the practice, We might be feel a little cold in our hearts, might be a little bit down. Sometimes the best thing to do, thanks, Colette, um, is is actually just reading through, like so we could read through the Metasutta, the Bodhisattva practices, the the eight verses, and these things just by hearing these words, just by you know listening. Maybe you could find a reading of them. Um, this is what I think it's really nice if you have like a, you know maybe something something that you read daily, you know like the Metasutta. Um, if you could Don, if you could find the metasuta, I don't know if that would work in the chat box. Yeah. Maybe just in sections, just to give you an example, I realized that not everyone might be familiar with, with these. Um, yeah. So I think that when you're really not feeling good, like you're just like, Oh, I'm really feeling an obstacle to sitting and meditating, just reading just reading uh, is very, very beneficial. And again, this is the style, which is just repetition. So it's by hearing something over and over and over again, it it starts to sink in, right? Uh, sure. MetaPract found the right one. Do you want me to paste some bits and pieces? Or, yeah, sure. Or, or I can just paste a link and people can check it out on their own. Okay. Yeah. Maybe just a link. Okay. All right. Yeah thank you. So the second one is Theravada, you know, uh, t- uh, the meta practice where we use the phrases. And this this is obviously very verbal, may you, may you be well, may you be at ease, may, may you be um, peaceful, may you be happy. Uh, these types of the, the phrases. So some of us are very verbal. And this really works. You might be you know, connected to affirmations and these types of things. You know, although the meta practice is not, you know, affirmations um, specifically, but, but people who connect with, with same phrases, and this would be the same like with, with, with mantra. So you might really connect with that style um, of practice. The seven point cause and effect method and I'm going to go over this really, you know, briefly, because a lot of you might not be familiar with this practice. It's a, it's a Tibetan practice. This is very logical. And I know this is going to be silly to say logical, but it's because it's kind of out there in a way, (laughs) but it's also using logic. If you, if you follow the logic. So if you feel like you're, you know, just kind of more on, you know, if you're not, uh, yeah, just more connected with with things that bring about the notion of logic. Uh, The seven point cause and effect method is actually very, very powerful. And it's my personal favorite, but I rarely teach it because uh, you you have to really buy into it. But if you buy into it, I think it's really powerful. The seven point cause and effect method is seven of these contemplations um, and we go through the first one is we contemplate the possibility that all beings have been our mother in the past. So again, you know, to kind of contemplate this, someone has to be, you know, at least open. It's like a don't know mind, but at least open, you know, to the possibility of reincarnation. Um, and again, too, if you if you just you know want to move in that direction and believe this, then then again, this practice really works. Uh, but it's not for everyone, right? So you contemplate as possible, but we don't know, but it's possible that maybe all beings have been our mothers in the past. And that goes for an ant or a bird, all sentient beings, a cow, all humans. Um, you then contemplate that, you know, you've been the Buddha's mom <laughs> in the past. There's, you know, these interesting contemplations, right? And you contemplate the kindness of mothers, just this, this uh, the kindness of mothers, like animal, you know, in an animal kingdom, the human kingdom. And this is a second piece that's maybe difficult for people because not everyone has a, you know, a beautiful relationship with their earthly mother. So there's this other aspect that comes up. And of course, in that case, you could use somebody, a motherly figure, you know, or someone that. Um, even a non-female figure that represents this this mother energy to you, right? If it if it works for you. But you contemplate that, you contemplate the kindness of, of mothers and the compassion of them. And then you cultivate this, this idea that, you know, if these mother sentient beings were so kind to me in the past, I should repay their kindness. So you start to view the world around you uh, much differently, like this, this ant, this bug in your house, you know, maybe this is a mother sentient being that was so kind to me in the past. And maybe this is my meeting of meeting them. I can repay their kindness. So I'm going to be really gentle and kind to them. I'm going to, I'm going to take them out of my home. I'm going to put them in a really beautiful spot and, um, Just, yeah, just treat them with the utmost kindness. And then the further contemplation is, wow, you know, these beings are just like me. They're suffering in samsaric existence. They have wrong view, just like me. And so the way to really, really assist them in the way that the Buddhas of the past, the Christ, the Krishnas, the Buddhas of the past, if I really want to assist them, ultimately I have to attain enlightenment I have to so we really sink into this and again if we're following the story that it's a very logical thing it makes sense I have to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings because it's the only way to truly free them we see the Buddha is still freeing beings you know 2600 years later his teachings are still liberating beings and not just you know historical buddha many others many other traditions are doing the same because he completely freed himself right and so this this ignites the ultimate bodhicitta motivation i have to attain alignment for the benefit of all beings you know really connect to that it's like a oh it's like a have to right i have to i owe i owe them and I have heard people say, wow, that's overwhelming responsibility. Like how am I going to free all beings and help all beings? But actually I think that's more from the logical side. I think when we start feeling into the practice, it becomes very enlivened and very juicy um, and not overbearing at all, but actually the opposite of just just really motivating, right? Yeah, so that one is more... Uh, logic. Right. If this is if this is like this, then I'm going to repay their kindness. And it just makes sense. It just makes sense logically. Um, the Tonglin practice of taking on the suffering of, of beings. So this is a really beautiful practice where we visualize the suffering of beings. And we make this intention that I'm going to actually take on their suffering and I'm going to transform it through this bodhisattva uh, intention and this compassion, just by my intention of taking on their suffering myself, it is transformed and I'm going to breathe back life into them. Just the basic notion of, of, of Tonglen. And this is, has a very nurturing quality. If you're just a nurturer by, by, by nature, I think you really connect with this one, just really caregiving for, for somebody. Um, And and all of these two, if we're just feeling a certain way, it's good to connect with these practices. You know, again, I mentioned the one with we're not really into it, just reading something's fantastic. If you're feeling really nurturing, uh, Tong Lin might be a really good one to to dive deep uh, into, right? Um, I put Om Mani Padme Om in here just as an example of a mantra. Manchas are very unique. um I put it in the category of of repetition um devotional uh this aspect of belief based if you you know find yourself connected to like belief based systems um there's also a, another kind of abstract one where manchas are said to like have. Oh, there's almost like a, a groove in the akasha, if you will, in, in the basic space of phenomena. There's like a groove, there's like an energy about them where if we can say them enough times, we actually jump into their cosmic stream. So your ability to to kind of immerse yourself in this, it's almost like a consciousness that they have developed through the consistent repetition over centuries, literally. Um, so they kind of deliver us into the into that space. Uh Omani Pemium, of course, is connected to a deity, which leads us into our next one. So there's a devotional aspect to it. There's a belief aspect that this deity carries some kind of significance and ability to uh, bring compassion and kindness to ourselves and others. And so by connecting to to that mantra, to that that deity, which supposedly harnesses the compassion of. All the Buddhas of all times, so, um, so yeah. So there's there's that aspect uh, as well. So yeah, this is this is uh, yeah, just yeah through re- repetition, yeah, in that style, devotional, belief based. So the next one is deity practice, uh, and I put here it's you know devotional and and visual some of us are very visual creatures and the deity practices are just are beautiful these these amazing visualizations um i i put on this last one kuan yin moon practice which maybe you've heard of maybe you haven't Uh, but after the after we meet if we have time i'll read it to you i i forgot to bring the book in, um, in in the room here but if you're a visual person, sometimes having a visual representation of a quality that you would like to embody is, is beneficial. In, in the Vajrayana tradition, that there's symbols of different qualities that exist within ourselves. Manjushri is a quality of wisdom mind, um, primordial wisdom, and the ability to attain you know connection with primordial wisdom is like Bhajadara. We have Chenrezig, uh, the Buddha of Compassion, or Kuan Yin, and so, and so, connecting with this uh, almost you know you know physical you know, and, and body representation of this quality, which is in many ways very abstract, can be can be beneficial to some minds. Uh, so we could have that visual representation of that, you know, connect with that in meditation, and. And all of these practice to sum all this up is that all of these are moving towards the same thing, which is the embodied experiential taste that is beyond words and concepts. And all of this you know, really delivering us into the stream, the well of loving kindness and compassion. These are all doorways jumping into the same river you know the same they're all rivers flowing into the same ocean (laughs) however you want to do it however you want to say it so all right i did not know i was going to talk that long sorry um let's jump into smaller groups and and as we do so let's chat about how loving kindness, and if you're not, you know, have don't have a consistent, like, loving kindness practice, just kindness, how has affected you? And I think this could really assist us in our convincing, you know, of convincing ourselves this is the way to go, as we hear from from others, too. Just how has it positively, you know, affected uh, you in your life, moving from this space of kindness? Yeah. All right. Well, we only have, you know, a couple minutes left. Um, but maybe with the nod of your head, was that nice to connect with others in a small group? Since we can't really share. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and I got to hop in on a group too, which is really nice. So um, yeah, so let's just uh dedicate the merit to this get into our posture one more time, kind of turn inward. I think loving kindness practice is really about connecting to an energy that runs through all of us. And a lot of times this energy manifests as, self-cherishing when we have kindness and compassion just for ourselves, even that can manifest in different ways even jealousy or envy or even anger when we feel attacked or hurt so the more that we're mindful of our own pain and suffering the more Kindness and compassion can arise for others. So, just dedicating the merit of all the wisdom and compassion we've garnered throughout our time together. And just wishing for ourselves and for all beings everywhere without exception. May we all truly, truly embody and know experientially our innate compassion and love. Thank you, Casey. Thank you, everyone. Have a good thank week you. thank you everyone i appreciate you all thank you so much for showing up Hi. today thank you Thanks, everybody. so much casey everyone oh <laughs> my goodness <laughs> thank you diana <laughs> thank you so good seeing you all right kids